you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Roy Osing on the podcast. Roy is a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. As president of a major data and internet company, his leadership and audacious, unheard of ways took the company from its early stage to $1 billion in annual sales. He is a blogger, content marketer, and mentor to young professionals. As an accomplished business advisor, he is the author of the no-nonsense book series, Be Different or Be Dead. So welcome to the podcast, Roy. Thanks very much, Wade. And listen, I'm grateful to, to be here and have a chance to talk to your audience. So thank you. Excellent. So what I like to do so that the audience knows who's talking to them is start off with one question, which is tell your story. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. that that's a great law. Uh, m- my story is all about, um, if I could capture it in a couple of words, it's kind of like break away and be different. And, and what I discovered very early on in my career, literally as a systems analyst for a major telecom company in Canada, was that the sorts of things that we were doing to get ready for a competitive world were simply not good enough. Um, we weren't stepping out. Um, we weren't doing things that I felt we should be doing to prepare uh, for that new environment. And in particular, I hit on the notion that in order to be successful and actually survive, that we need to do things differently. And so I started to take on this kind of like be different mantra where everything that I, I looked at, everything I, I was given as a challenge, I kind of looked at through a be different lens. And I asked myself the question, how can I do this differently? And so it helped me uh, in terms of the positions I had in the organization. And I was fortunate, way to have so much opportunities to do things in the company. It was a great big company with small little business units and organizations within it. And so I had a chance to kind of practice this. And I did it in terms of the the jobs that I had. And I also did it in terms of my career because the same principle exists. I mean, career success typically follows people that that are visible, that stand out in a compelling way uh, that people care about. And so the be different or be dead journey for me started very, very early. And it, it took the shape of breaking away from tradition, breaking away from the way we did planning, breaking away from the way we thought about leadership, breaking away from the, the way we thought about doing marketing, all of that sort of thing. And, and in it's, it's kind of like been a journey literally for over four decades. And, and it's more compelling today than it was, you know, four decades ago. I mean, I wrote my first Be Different or Be Dead book in 2009 called Your Business Survival Guide. And you can see it in the back. It's the red one. I mean, the stuff in there is basically the same stuff that I continue to to bang away at today because we haven't made a whole lot of progress, quite frankly. And that's a disappointment to me. So my story is about breaking away, sticking to it, hopefully seeing that you know, we actually see more and more and more of it um, uh, used to be successful personally and to be successful in business. Excellent. So I want to dive into the be different approach a little bit. So what are some examples of how a business leader can be different, how they can lead differently? 
Well, there's 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 several. Um, um, one particular example would be um, the focus on execution as opposed to planning. I mean, most leaders pride themselves, and and you look at I'm going to be tough on some standard traditional concepts this morning, um, and I've earned that right because I've done them. So I can be critical of my own profession, right? Leadership is one of those things, quite frankly, that I see a lot of people practicing from an academic point of view, from a theoretical point of view, from a, a disciplinary point of view, from a textbook point of view. And one of the big things that, that leaders are supposed to do is be terrific planners. They're supposed to have this, this, this vision of the future that makes them, you know, the, the, gives them the ability to foresee events and create amazing strategies for the business. Well, quite frankly, wait, that's hogwash. That's not the way the, the world works, okay? Leaders don't have, you know, the ability to see into the future. And from my point of view, audaciousness from a leadership point of view is about execution. execution. It's not about the plan at all. Like my view is uh, we need to get the plan just about right. And then we need to execute it with absolute relentless precision. Because I can beat the pants off you with a mediocre strategy that I execute well. And, and you may have, from a theoretical point of view, the most pristine strategy in the world. But I will beat your pants off in the market because I'm going to execute it better. So that whole focus right, on how do we build cultures around execution? How do we build processes around execution? How do we build a planning process that's built to execute? And I had to do that. In my job as president of the data company, I had to create my own strategic, I call it strategic game planning process, which is different than the regular kind of like pedantic way of going about, you know, assessing strengths and we, you know, all that stuff that takes you 16 weeks, right? And $300,000. I can, I can get an executive team through a planning process in literally 48 hours and they walk out and they can execute it. And it's a good, solid strategy. So that whole piece around execution is an example um, of what I would call kind of like stepping out of the traditional leadership mold. And I had to do it out of necessity, right? But it's not the only one. People talk a lot about servant leadership these, these days as, a, as kind of a leadership style. And I don't think, I don't look at it that way at all. The ability to serve people from a leadership point of view is not about style. It's about strategic positioning. You do it because what? If you serve people better, they're going to execute your plan better. All right. It's got nothing to do with style. It's got to do with substance around execution. You know, so the serving and I call it how, how can I help leadership? Not servant leaderships. How can I help? And it's I. It's not how can the organization help. It's how can I? How can Roy help you, Wade? Do your job better. Get rid of the crap that's in your way. How can I help you? And that was a huge piece for me. It aided execution. It, I mean, all of this stuff, right? That I've had the chance of doing isn't just cool for the sake of being cool. It's cool because it all drives superlative performance. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm about. If I can't translate a leadership act, a marketing act, a sales act into, into top line revenue growth, then I'm not interested in doing. You know, so execution, servant leadership. I'm a great fan of do-it-yourself leadership. I do not believe in delegation for the sake of delegation, right? Like that's another piece. I call it do-it-yourself. Leaders need to have their own fingerprints. 
on things that go on in the organization. There's way too much delegation going on, quite frankly. And it's because the textbooks say leaders have to delegate. That's crap. That's crap. In fact, what, what I see in that respect, and I'm sorry to go on in this, but I'm really, this just vexes me, as you can tell. I see a lot of abdication. I see delegation, which, which rapidly morphs into, into abdication of their responsibilities. Leaders need to take ownership of the strategic issues that they own. And I'm seeing that that doesn't happen often enough. So there's a few examples. There's tons of others. We could talk about killing dumb rules. We could talk about cutting the crap. There's all sorts of fun things that, that I think are, is part of the definition of audacious leaders um, that I've had a chance to do and, and witness unbelievable success on such simple concepts, man. Simple concepts. So I want to dive into that delegation thing a bit. Um, because if you're not going to, if you're not going to um, have the people underneath you do stuff, then why would you have people? So, but I don't think that's where you're going. So I'm, I'm kind of interested. What's the difference between, you know, a, a, a good use of your resources versus abdication? So, so there, uh, the way I look at it is like there's, uh, there's sort of two categories of things that leaders do. Okay. One tends to be routine. The second tends tend to be strategic. Routine, routine tasks, routine responsibilities, I think, quite frankly, uh, can be delegated to a degree. But the strategic things that the leader owns, okay? And let me give you an example. I took ownership of, of designing the customer moment, right? The, architecting what behaviors and outcomes are expected when an employee is engaging with a customer. I took that on personally. I considered it strategic. It wasn't something I delegated to the process re-engineering people. Seriously? Are you kidding me? I mean, we had, to, we had to protect market share. We had to grow revenues. And my conclusion was the way we dealt with a customer in the moment was critically important to that. I took that on as a do-it-yourself item. I did it. There's a lot of other stuff, which I would call administrative routine stuff. Sure. Fill your boots. The strategy stuff, never delegated. Like, let me give you another example, communicating the strategic plan of the organization to, to your employees. I mean, my, by the way, my, my organization was like 10,000 people. It was not a small organization. It was huge. Okay. And it was an organization that we are dragging from the voice world into the internet world. So the cultures were different, right? The skill sets we needed were different. So we had to make an incredible change. Okay. In the way we did business. So it required from a strategic game planning perspective, it required me to sell it. I couldn't delegate it to the business development people because they didn't own it. I owned it. It was my plan, my organization. I had to sell it. I had convinced people. So it, that became a do-it-yourselfer. And man, I spent copious amounts of time out in the organization trying to convince people that this was a, this was a journey that, that we needed to go on. And, and how can I help you in, in your part of that to get there? So those are the sorts of things that, um, that I took on. Another really good example, and most people won't even relate to this, most leaders, quite frankly, is, is the hiring of frontline managers. If you believe that you wanted to execute better, you're, you're led to the inescapable conclusion that your frontline are the most important assets you have because they take care of customers. It's not technology. Give me a break. It's people sitting on the front line taking care of customers. So I reasoned that 
from a management point of view and a leadership point of view in the organization, there's no more important position than the frontline leaders, the people that actually manage those warriors on the front line. So I took it on that I actually recreated the recruitment process for them. I participated in, in interview panels with a direct reporting manager. And sooner or later, they understood the kind of questions and so forth they needed to ask, et cetera. People looked at me like I was crazy. Roy, you need to delegate that. You need to give that up. And I said, says who? That is so important to my results. Uh, if, it, if it weren't important to the results, I wouldn't be doing it, okay? That's the important thing people got to get. It's like you do stuff like this because you believe and you know that it's going to drive performance. So I did that. So that's another example of, uh, of, of do it yourself. And I would never let anybody else ever have to assume responsibility for that because I'm setting them up to fail if I delegated that kind of stuff. So there's a couple of examples. Yeah. So important to results is kind of the key filter there. Totally. Totally. I mean, for me, I was the most results-oriented guy doing cool things to get there you've ever seen. I mean, I would do contrarian things. I would, I would step out and do outlandish things to get there. But we got there. I mean, I get goosebumps when I think we built, actually built a business, right? A startup business to a billion in annual sales, man. I mean, that, that just, ah, I get goosebumps when I think about it still. We did it. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, so the business planning process, or the strategic planning process, it sounds like it's built for execution. What's the difference between the traditional business planning process and how you're building that for execution? Yeah, so the excellent question. Thank you for that. Um, so the, the, the process that I, I created um, is about creating your game plan by answering three simple questions. And, and the answer to the questions constitutes your strategic game plan. By the way, it's called a game plan, not a strategic plan, for one simple reason. Game plans get executed. That's why it's a game plan, okay? So any little thing I can do to focus on execution. So the first question is really simple. It's how big do you want to be? That's a question about revenue growth. And it's revenue growth, not profits, because I can give you whatever profits you want by jiggering the income statement right? And all the variables that go down to the net income line. But you can't run and hide from top line. Top line revenue is a mirror image of what the marketplace feels about how well you're serving them. So how big says wherever you are now in 24 months, where do you want to be? Not five years. Why not, why not five years? Because five years has got nothing to do with execution because the fourth year never shows up anyways. So what are we worrying about it for? If it does, it's a hockey stick and it's somebody's illusion. Uh, so, so it's in 24 months, how big says, where do you want to be? So if you're 10 million today, where do you want to be in 24 months? Do you want to be uh, at 20 million? Do you want to be at 50 million? Now, this is an interesting question because the process has the number driving the strategy as opposed to answer your question, the traditional approach that creates a strategy and then has an economic derivative created from it, right? And so you develop a strategy traditionally, then it says, what are the financials? And the CFO looks at the financials, wait and says, I don't like the financials, go back and change the strategy. Well, they don't. They change the assumptions that are driving the numbers and they come up with new numbers. Ridiculous. You can't run and hide when you're doubling revenue. 
that number creates the character and the risk of your strategy. That's why I lead with the number. And you wouldn't believe the fun we have, right? I get an executive team in a room and say, okay, guys, you know, we're at 50 million. Where do we want to be? We, 24 months. We want to be at 100 million. Of course, the, the, the CEO goes, yeah, Roy, that looks good. Well, of course, everybody else is going apoplectic because we're going to be doubling revenue, right? That's a good, good exercise. Um, and it's an important one because I firmly believe that the boldness of the number drives the character of innovation in your organization. If the number is, if you know how to achieve the number, the number's no good. It doesn't do anything for you. So the whole thing is, I don't know, drives innovation. And so my, my bias is always to get the number as audacious as you can, because it's going to force you to do things differently. It's going to force you to do things differently. So we go through that. The second question is, who do you want to serve? That says, where are you going to get the money? Wade, where am I going to get the money? Okay, so what you want to do is choose customer groups, not market segments. <laughs> customer groups, you know, eyeball to eyeball with human beings, not a market segment that somebody's ethereal view of, of, of homogenous customers, which doesn't exist anyway. So it says you better pick a few segments, right, that have the potential to get you your how big. So we go through that. And then the third killer question, quite frankly, is how are you going to compete and win in the customer groups you've chosen? And that's all about what's your differential advantage. And I had to create something that's pretty cool and people really are getting onto is called the only statement. And it says your statement of competitive advantage has got to be built around you being the only ones that do what you do. Okay. So the only statement is we are the only ones that. And I've had some, some pretty darn good ses, success with that because the alternative is, is using what I call claptrap expressions and aspirations in a designing a competitive claim and it doesn't work. I mean, how many, how many competitive claims have you seen that use the word better, best, number one, market leader? Virtually all of them do. They're meaningless. And then... Then what they do is they come up with aspirations. Now, I'm going to give you an aspiration, and I want you to guess the company. Can we do that? So here it is. To give, this is a statement of their, their, their competitive claim, to give customers the most compelling shopping experience possible. Amazon. Nope. My point is, it's actually Nordstrom's. My point is, my point is there, it's not a bad statement. It, but it does nothing to define your competitive uniqueness. And in a world that is more competitive today than it's ever been, you would expect organizations to do a better job at carving out and communicating their unique niche. The issue, Wade, is they're worse. We've made no progress. And, and in a way, I'm castigating myself because that says I haven't done a good enough job selling the only statement to the world because that... Let me give you an example with the only statement, a real one, what it says. And this is one that, uh, that I just completed with an organization that's a startup, and it's an association, and it's an association in the Vancouver area, and it goes like this. The North Delta Business Association is the only team that, one, links you to other businesses, two, connects you with experienced and knowledgeable people to help you lead and grow your business, and three, 
constantly challenges you to do things differently. That's an example of an only statement. Okay, it's binary. It either exists or it doesn't. And it's easy to measure. How? You go and ask people. You ask customers. By the way, here's the North Delta Business Association's um, only statement. Um, is it true? You ask people, like, do we consistently deliver that value? Right? And does it address a compelling need that you have? So we test it. And then you just go try it out and refine it on the go. Okay, so that whole process is juxtaposed against tradition. It has got nothing to do with how we've ever done strategic planning and created competitive advantage claims ever, ever. And, and a lot of people use the only statement um, to address something that is not true and to address something that, that actually doesn't matter. And that's even worse, right? Claiming you're the only one at something that people don't care about is not exactly the position you want to be in. So there you have it. Strategic game planning, man, we, we can do this in two days. And people come out as a solid team after that experience and just charged up to execute. And it works. Excellent. So, so you've got a new book uh, hitting the shelves here in a few weeks. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, my seventh book, and I'm, I'm just so excited about it. Uh, and it's really kind of an updated version of my stuff. Um, because before this particular book, I'd written um, a book in uh, 09, which was a printed version, and then a series of, of deep dive ebooks on the various aspects of my, my content. And then I decided to kind of like do another, uh, another whole uh, look at it and update it. And so it's called Be Different or Be Dead. The audacious, unheard of ways I took a startup to a billion in sales. And it basically goes through uh, strategy, leadership, marketing, customer service, and sales, which are basically the essential ingredients of any organization. And I've had a, the chance and opportunity to actually lead all of those things and get really dirty in them and understand them and, and move them along this kind of like breakaway spectrum. Um, and so the book is out in, um, pr in printed version at the end of May. It's, you can get it now if you wanted to pre-order it, or you can get an ebook version, which is available right now. But I'm super excited. Love the chance to, do, to talk to guys like you about its content and, and to try and, to try and implore people to, to take a look and try some of this stuff. Uh, you know, if you can find a couple of items that excite you, and, and it's possible because of its simplicity, Wade. There's nothing. I mean, some people have said to me, Roy, that can't possibly work. It's too simple. So people have been taught that complexity is sexy and complexity is right. And of course, I just dispel the notion. I find it quite repugnant that people would suggest that you have to be complex. People don't get complex. Don't forget, we're trying to execute, right? You talk to a frontline person in complex language, guess what happens? Their eyes glows, glow, glaze over and they fall asleep and they never do anything differently. So you have to be simple. So I, I'm trying to convince people, give it a try, read it, get some ideas and go play with it and talk to me, engage me. I'm really happy to help. Excellent. So how do they find you? How do they engage you? So I have a website like everybody does, be different or be dead.com. Um, and on the website, I, I blog every week and I talk about my stuff every week. And so that's a resource for people that are interested in knowing more about it. 
And then I have a, a book page where I have all of the seven of the books with a description and so on and so forth and where you can go to actually get a copy. So you can do that. And I also have another page called Thought, Thoughtful Remarks, which is basically what other people have said about the work and have they found it you know, interesting and have they had a good time with it, et cetera. And, and that's, it's nice to be able to reflect on what other people have said. And, and so I hope, hopefully, um, it's an it's a entire source uh, re of resources for people. And then I have an email address. It's at roy.osing at gmail.com. And I invite people, try out your only statement. Send me a draft copy. Let's have a conversation about it. I'll give you my views. You can do what you want, but I'll give you my views. I created this. It's important. Right. So I like to offer that as well. Excellent. Yeah, I, I encourage everybody to take you up on that and uh, take advantage of those resources. I hope they do. I hope they do, honestly. And, and we'll link all those up in the show notes, make it easy for people. Um, and, Excellent. Uh, really appreciate you taking time on the show today. A lot of really good insights and uh, just love the idea of being different and being audacious. You know, that is certainly what differentiates. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And hey, listen, wait, we should do this again. There's lots more to talk about. We didn't get a chance to talk about dumb rules and cutting the crap. And that's there, man. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll do that because I hate dumb rules and crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do the people executing your strategy. You see, that's the point. Got <laughs> yep. to get rid of them. Absolutely. Yeah, um, be happy to. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. And um, thank you for listening to the Aim Twin podcast. Remember to like us wherever it is that uh, you listen to your podcast. And you can find me on LinkedIn or on my website, www.aimtwinllc.com.